Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Can I just be real candid with you this morning? No, Jeff? No, I can't? Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, It's crazy how God works things together for exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. This week, um, and I don't want to make it about me, but it's been a challenging week for me and my family, and it's been a challenging week for our nation. It's just been a challenging week, right? And I didn't get to go to staff meeting this week. I didn't get to go to meet my time with Tim this week to talk about teaching this week. I didn't get to be prayed over this week. We, we always do that every week. And this morning, from the worship songs to people that have prayed over me and spoke over me, God has just been ministering to me in a mighty, powerful way. The, the, Lydia, that third song, worshiping that third song, like broke my heart. And so it's just amazing how intentional our God is for us. And Tim was talking about that. And so I just want you to know, I, I'm here with you today to be ministered to by God. And as we open up God's word, I hope, as Tim said, we get tune our hearts to hear from him and just see how much he really loves us. So can we do that this morning? Yeah? We excited? I'm excited. We are in a series uh, around this beautiful table. And it's a series called Invited to the Table. And we have been studying the meals that Jesus had and the people that he ate with, the people that he invited into relationship with him, which was all centered around a table. I encourage you, if you have not been a part of this series, if you're new here, by the way, if you're new here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Zach. The normal preacher will be back next week. Um, I just come once in a while. I'm new here. But I encourage you to go back. Pastor Rod delivered a powerful message a couple weeks ago um, and just really poured out his heart with so much authenticity. Tim delivered a wonderful message just around these, these different people that are at this table. And so it's all online. You can check it out. But we're going to continue in that today. And this week is a special week. Every week's special because Jesus died for us. He resurrected and he loves us. But this week is a special week because we get to commemorate that. Uh, it's Passover week. Holy week, some people call it. And a lot of us including myself, we don't really get how big a deal this week is and was, okay? We really don't. It's like, it's like you know, when they, uh, those nightly talk shows go and interview people about Thanksgiving, you're like, hey, what was the meaning of Thanksgiving? And then the younger generation goes, well, food and eating. And they go, do you know how we got here? And, they go, and it's just so funny every year that you see all these people just struggle to even understand how we got here, right? They don't understand the meaning and the depth of this holiday that we celebrate as a nation. Well, this, this Holy Week, this Passover week, I think is very, very similar in the Christian world. We don't truly understand all that went into this week, the thousands of years of history and the intentionality behind which God has brought this specific week and the specific days. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to dive into that. That sounds boring, okay? And it might be, and that's okay, all right? I want you to know that as a young preacher, my wife would have to endure me practicing my sermons, and a hundred times out of a hundred, she did fall asleep at some point, okay? So if you fall asleep today, young adults, it won't affect me. I'm going to keep going, all right? You got me, Carter? Yeah, you got me? Go ahead. It won't affect me. She snores too. It's okay. All right? So, Passover week. 
What is it? What is it centered around? Well, there are three major festivals that were in the Jewish culture that God established thousands of years ago. Okay, there was one called Passover. Okay, this, this week is celebrating the Passover and the exodus out of Egypt. So when God passed over the houses of Egypt with the blood on the doors, and if this is way too fast, you go back in the book of Exodus and you can read it, okay? But the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years, and God delivered them by the Passover out of Egypt. Kind of a big deal, 400 years of slavery in history, and this, this festival so that they won't forget. Okay, there's the Feast of Pentecost, which is a feast of God coming to Mount Sinai and visiting the people of Israel for the first time with his tangible presence. And there's the Feast of Booths, which is commemorating that the Israelites were sojourners in this journey after Egypt and how God brought the law to them. And you're like, Zach, that's, that's really cool, but how does this apply to me? We're going to get there. Okay? But this week is, is probably the, of the three, it's the number one. Okay? This is the one where... Literally, if you are a Jewish person, you probably have gone and traveled. If you're an American Jew, you've gone and traveled to Jerusalem for this festival. If you were a Jewish person in Jesus' time, you would make this pilgrimage, typically several days, sometimes a couple weeks, to be in Jerusalem. It was estimated that in Jerusalem, there's about 20 to 25,000 people at, at Jesus' time, okay? As, as we're going to read today, what, the time that we're going to read today. During this week, over 250,000 people would be in that city. Ten times the normal amount. That's how important this festival was, this remembrance of the Exodus was. And it's so intentional the way that Jesus handles this week. In fact, I'll throw a graphic up on the screen for you, just kind of break down the week for you. Um, so today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. All right, today is Palm Sunday, and then you would have what is called Maundy Thursday, which is the Passover. And again, that was the Passover I was discussing, one of those three festivals when, when the angel of the Lord passed over the houses with the blood of the lamb across it, and the Israelites were delivered and, and delivered out of exile from Egypt. And then Friday coming up is Good Friday. That's what we as Christians call Good Friday, which is kind of an oxymoron, because how can something so awful be so good when Jesus died on the cross? That's Good Friday. And, and then we have Holy Saturday, or some call it Silent Saturday, when Jesus was in the grave, and, and the disciples thought, oh my goodness, we've lost our Savior, is this really going to happen? And then you have Easter Sunday, or as I like to call it, Resurrection Sunday. So that's just a big picture of the week. I want you guys to have that snapshot as we dive into what it, Palm Sunday is, okay? Good so far? Young adults? All right, so what I want to do is I want you to turn to John chapter 12, all right, the book of John, John chapter 12. In fact, uh, the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday is one of those things that's actually in all four Gospels. We're going to read from the book of John this morning. And I want you to stand. We're going to stand as we read God's word. Uh, we do this just because we want to provide reference to it. And we want to honor it. So you can uh, follow along. I'm going to read out of the ESV. It says this. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. And had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. 
The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Father, we love you. We love you so much. And, and God, today we're just begging for you to speak to our hearts. We're begging you for, to make something maybe we've read hundreds of times fresh and new, God, that you would begin to transform our hearts to be more attuned to what you have for us, God, that we would begin to be more shaped and molded like you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, Jesus is on the scene. He's about three years into his ministry time, and he's kind of a big deal. Whether you liked him or you hated him, he was kind of a big deal. Where he went, crowds came, okay? And people constantly wanted something from this man named Jesus. They had heard that he could multiply food, they had heard that he could heal sick. They had heard that he could speak things over people that could just change their life. But they weren't sure exactly who he was and what he was about. There was great controversy. Great, great controversy is, is he a prophet? Is he the son of God? Is he crazy? Is he a magician that's just, you know, doing these things and, and it's, it's by the power, a different power, not of God. So there was this great controversy surrounding him. And, and specifically leading up to Holy Week, the religious leaders were not happy. They were not happy. They knew that he was gaining popularity and that he was, was beginning to uh, become a person of influence and they were not able to control him. And so they were plotting against him. And Jesus and his disciples knew that if he went to this festival, Something bad was going to happen. They knew. But Jesus knew he had to go. And what Jesus does just right before this, you, you heard as we read in John chapter 12, is he actually raises his friend, his friend Lazarus from the dead. So if there was any doubt about the power of God in this man called Jesus, he just raised someone from the dead. And this is why some crowds began to get even larger. And this is why the religious leaders began to even get a little more fearful that they might lose their influence over this nation. And so these people that come out to meet Jesus, as we read, with their palm branches, waving with their coats on the, on the ground, as some of the other gospels uh, detail out, these people were starting to get a little excited because they knew that this Jesus guy could do some things for them that they thought they needed, to change their life. But you see, some of their motives weren't so pure. Some of their motives for going out to meet Jesus weren't for good, good things. They were for some selfish things. You see, the sick people that wanted to go meet Jesus, they wanted healing. They wanted healing. Now, is, is getting healed wrong? No. But they, they had, they, some of them had a selfish ambition to be healed. Um, some of the poor people, they wanted money. They wanted wealth. Some of the, the religious leaders, they didn't want to meet Jesus. They wanted him to go away. There was in a group called the Essenes who were this uh, community um, that, that removed themselves from the nation of Israel, and they wanted religious confirmation when they came to meet Jesus. They wanted to go, hey, the way that we've been living, the righteous way we've been living, it, 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 you know, we're holier than the, all these other people. We want you to confirm that, Jesus. And in fact, even his own disciples, they wanted to rule and reign with him. 
you can read here in, in the, even after this, in John chapter 12, even as it goes into 13, 14, 15, and even before that, you see the guy who actually wrote the book of John going, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand and be your second in command? He asked him several times. In fact, there was a disciple uh, who was a zealot, and what a zealot was back then was those were the ones that wanted to violently overthrow the Roman Empire. The Jews were under oppression. And the, the zealots wanted to violently overthrow. So you had all these different people from all these different backgrounds wanting to invite Jesus to do something for them. Maybe at the heart of what they wanted, it wasn't wrong, but they didn't want what Jesus truly came to offer and what they truly needed. They put the other things in higher importance. And so as we look at this, I want us to think about what are some of the things in our life that we put before truly just needing Jesus as he is. I want you to have that framework as we unpack some of the historical significance of how Jesus enters into this city of Jerusalem during this Holy Week, during this crazy festival. I mean, again, the Holy Week here was like New Year's Eve and Independence Day and every major holiday that we could imagine all into one for the Jewish people. We don't have a context for it because the amount of, the percentage of the population that would descend on Jerusalem, it can't happen anymore. We have too, we have too many billion people. But this, this Passover season was not only a, a wonderful time of remembrance, but it would it'd become this season as the Jewish people were oppressed, a season of, of revolt. They were trying to free themselves from oppression. And you have all these historical uh, revolts that would happen. Uh, obviously, we have Egypt when he was led out of Egypt, but one of the biggest ones, and we don't really talk about this a lot in Christian culture because it's not one of the books that we uh, canonize in the Bible, but it would be the Maccabean revolt. And the way that Jesus comes is very intentional, and so we have to understand the Maccabean revolt. The Maccabean revolt happened in 160 BC, about 160 years before Jesus, about 193 years before this happens. And a guy named Judas Maccabee goes and leads a revolt against the oppression of the Sukhalids, who was, it was an empire that was oppressing the Jewish nation. They had desecrated the temple. They had worshiped idols in the temple. And he leads a revolt, and they win temporarily. And he reclaims the temple. And on his way into Jerusalem, there's some very unique similarities to how he entered and how Jesus entered and the meaning behind that. But this Passover season was a time when if you were going to try to overthrow the Romans, this was the time. A lot of the Jewish people were there. A lot of the zealots were there. A lot of the, the leaders uh, above, among the different political factions were there. And they were going to try to overthrow the Romans at this time. In fact, 30 years later in AD 66, they do this during Passover week. They attempt to overthrow the Romans. They succeed for a few years and then they fail. And so with that context, let's see what they are asking of Jesus, these people that came and waved these palm branches on Palm Sunday. Verse 13 says this. It says, so they took, palm, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out. Now, I never knew why as a three-year-old they paraded us all in with palm branches on Sunday and made us wave them. I didn't know. And then we'd sing the song, Hosanna, right? You guys all know the song, and we'd do it and be fun, and we were so cute, and man, I'd love, maybe, maybe one day we'll do that here, and my little three-year-old Hezekiah could do that, it'd be great. But I never knew why. Well, let me tell you why. The palm branch in Jewish culture, when it was waved in this fashion, in a parade-like fashion, was to celebrate a conquering king, a conquering king. In fact, even in Greco-Roman culture, 
a, an athlete, an Olympic athlete, who won was given a palm branch to celebrate his victory. A, a, a Roman general who was brought back after a long battle, they would line the streets and wave palm branches, signifying that a victory had been won. In fact, even that, remember that feast of booths that I was telling you about? They would build booths with, guess what? Palm branches. They would build booths with palm branches. The Maccabean Revolt, that one that I just talked about, do you know what festival it took place over? The Feast of Booths, which was built with palm branches. Judas Maccabee, the leader of the revolt, that every good little Jewish boy and girl, every adult would understand the history. It was cemented in their brain. Guess what? When he finally emerged victorious and he was entered into Jerusalem after that revolt, guess what they waved for him? Palm branches. On the coins that they minted during the three-year time of Judas Maccabeus, as he reigned, the coins that they reminted, guess what was on them? Palm branches. Marcella, Marcella, you're getting an A-plus today. You must work at NNU. Palm branches. Deeply, deeply significant. So in verse 13, it says they took palm branches, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Why would they say this? What does Hosanna even mean? It's like a weird word, huh? Do you know what it means? Save us, we beg you. So they were saying, save us, we beg you, Jesus. Save us from the Romans. Save us, save us, save us. And in fact, where they quote Hosanna from, it's very, very, very interesting. It's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 25. And again, it were, the Jewish culture, they knew their scripture so well. So when they're quoting and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're quoting from Psalm 118. And when, it, when you quote from a particular part of scripture, it's called, they do what uh, Jewish people do, what they call a remez. Everyone say remez. So when you quote a single line, you actually mean the entire chapter or the entire part of scripture. You quote a single line, it'd be like if I said, in a galaxy far, far away, what is that about? Star Wars. I'm so glad you know that I'm in the right church. If you didn't know that, I'd have to get up and leave. But here's what Psalm 118.25 says. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a remez. In Psalm 118, there are numerous times where they beg God to cut off their oppressors, all throughout Psalm 118. Cut off my, our oppressors, O Lord. Cut off our oppressors, O Lord. They sang, did you know they sang Psalm 118 for Judas Maccabee after he overthrew his oppressors? And so the people that are waving palm branches singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What were they really saying? They were saying, Jesus, we don't quite know who you are or what you're all about, but we want you to come, and we want you to get your army, and we want you to conquer the Romans. We are tired of being oppressed for hundreds of years. We want to take back control. We want, we want you to actually really um, do some damage. We want you to, to, to hurt the people that have hurt us in a really, really bad way. And who could blame them, right? Oppression for hundreds of years, slavery for hundreds of years, countless crucifixions of their friends and family, and they came out and they waved their palm branches and they said, Hosanna, Jesus, 
this is what we think we need. This is what we think will make us happy. This is what we think is the best thing for us. Come and do it now. Did they have an agenda? Yeah. Did they think it was the right thing? Yeah. So that's what they wanted from him. There's another group of people that we had mentioned that wanted something different. And that was the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They wanted something different from Jesus. If you look in John chapter 12, verse 19, you'll see what they wanted. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In, in the same um, cross-reference section of scripture in Luke chapter 19, if you'd go to Luke chapter 19, it's Luke's account of this Palm Sunday, of this triumphant entry. He gives a little bit more detail. Luke's a doctor, so he's, he's very detailed. Luke chapter 19, verse 39, Luke says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why are, why are the Pharisees telling all these people, all these followers that are waving these palm branches? Because shouldn't all Jews want to be delivered from the Roman people? You would think. You would think they would want to have their nation restored, their temple restored, their independence restored, their freedom restored. But why are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saying, no, be quiet? Here's why. You see, the religious leaders of that day were working with the Roman people, the Roman government. They were put in, act, put in power by the Romans. They, they benefited greatly financially from the Romans. And so what they're saying is, no, 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 Jesus, we don't want to we we, we be free. We like this. We like this oppression. We like our power. We like where we are. We don't want change. It was a very selfish, selfish thing. They wanted to remain in power because they knew that Rome was watching. It was Independence Day, New Year's Eve, all our holidays that you could ever imagine, July 4th wrapped into one, right? And they knew Rome was watching, and if they couldn't keep the Jewish people under control, Rome would remove them as leaders and put new ones in. So they said, be quiet. So I just, again, I wonder, that question that I asked at the beginning is, how do we do this with God? How do we invite him into our lives, into our table? Do we do it with motives and reasons that are pure and right? And if I'm being honest with you, there are so many times in my life where I don't. But it's interesting because no matter how Jesus gets invited, he just comes as he is. Um, even though most of us, we want solutions and success and security instead of a savior, Jesus comes as he is. Let me say that again. Even though we want solutions, success, and security instead of a savior, Jesus comes as he is. So I want to I just unpack a little bit how Jesus came and how intentional and loving, and amazing he is. And, and what I love about God's word is that there's such deep meaning behind some things. I was talking with Miss Carol back there earlier, and, and just how you could read God's word a hundred times, uh, the same passage a hundred times, and God will show you something new. And he did that for me this week. So, how did Jesus come? 
he came riding on a donkey. That's what, that's what Luke and John and Matthew and Mark say. He came riding on a donkey. And we read that line and we go, that's weird. No one rides donkeys these days. We read that line and go, it has no significance. But it has deep, deep meaning. And I want to show you how deep of a meaning it has. Um, Jesus was very intentional, very symbolic in the way that he came into Jerusalem, the time that he came into Jerusalem, and what that signified for those people back then and what it signifies for us today. And so I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 9, and we are not going to Zechariah because that is the namesake of my book. Uh, we are going there because it does have meaning. So, But it's always good when I can sneak a little Zechariah in. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble. You could underline that one, humble. And mounted on a, hold on, mounted on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, the reason Jesus chose, he could have chose to enter any way he wanted to. Most people during that time when they came back to uh, a city to enter in as a conquering king, they would enter on a war horse with a parade, with armor, with weapons, with an entourage on horseback. But Jesus said, no, I am coming on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy of being a humble servant king, a king that is not coming to bring pain and to bring war and to bring revenge, a king that is coming to bring peace. Every way you thought you wanted me to come, every way that you think that I needed to come, what you thought you needed, I'm coming different. But see, I know what you truly need instead of what you want. That's how he's coming. That's how he came, on a donkey. You see, donkey actually, donkeys actually have a, quite a bit of significance. There was actually another triumphant entry, not Judas Maccabeus. Um, he entered on a horse. But in the book of Kings, there was another king who entered on a donkey. You see, King David, we all know King David, he was passing away. He was the mighty king. He slayed Goliath. He conquered thousands. He's the most beloved king of Israel. But the, the, the battle for who would succeed him was real. There were religious leaders and military leaders who wanted to maintain power when King David died and passed over his power. They were actually pretty corrupt. They had an agenda just like in the time of Jesus. I know we don't have any political agendas now, so it's not like our time. But they had an agenda. And so they circumvented King David, and they said, we're going to put a different person in, in, in power than the one you have, David, have assigned. And so they paraded him in on a horse. They, they established him. They blew trumpets to him. And, and David gets wind of this. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, he says to his still trusted advisors, many of whom had abandoned him, but the ones that he still trusted, he said, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, which is like a donkey, 
and bring him down to Gihon. Now, who's Solomon? We all remember him as the wisest king, right? He knew everything. But what we forget is who his mom was, Bathsheba. And it's nothing to say anything against Bathsheba, but it was more about what King David did with Bathsheba and the circumstances with which this boy came into this world. And so for this boy to be made king, that is why a lot of the religious leaders and the military commanders did not want Solomon to become king because he was born out of scandal. He was born from a lay woman who wasn't a part of the upper echelon and the religious elite. And so when the power is getting ready to be passed and God had told David, you will have Solomon secede you as king, they didn't want that. And when David gets wind of this, he says, no, go find Solomon, take my son, and bring him in on my donkey. And he went through the Kidron Valley, through Gihon, just like Jesus does on Palm Sunday, on a donkey. We forget where Jesus was born, because we don't even know that town. A little town called Bethlehem, residing in a little town called Nazareth that nothing good and nothing great, great came out of. In the midst of scandal to a woman who was thought to have had adultery, pretty similar. So the donkey is of deep significance. It's Jesus coming and going, yes, I am the king. Don't get get this mistaken. I have the power to come and do what you want me to do. I really do. And I could do it in a snap of my fingers, but I'm not going to come and do it. I'm going to come in humility. I'm going to come to reshape and turn upside down everything you think should be. Who you think are, are strong, they're going to be weak. Who you think are weak are going to be strong. Who you think are rich, they're going to be poor. The poor are going to become rich, and I'm going to change how you view this world. That was his goal. That was the intentionality with which he come. He said, Jewish religious leaders, you are corrupt. I am coming to overthrow you. Just like Bathsheba's son came, I'm coming. Mary's son. He also came, if you look back in the Jewish scriptures in Genesis chapter 22, he came like Isaac. Remember Isaac? Jacob took our, um, goodness. Abraham, thank you, goodness. It's been a week. Abraham took Isaac up to a mountain, Genesis chapter 22. Do you know what Isaac rode up that mountain on? A donkey. Why did Isaac ride up that mountain? Because God had asked him to be sacrificed. He wanted to see if Abraham was going to give up his most prized possession. And he rode up on a donkey. Jesus not only comes like Bathsheba's son, he not only comes like Zachariah says, but he comes like Isaac, ready to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. How cool is that? You don't think God's intentional and he has something new for you today? I hope you're getting something from this. Young adults, if you're still awake, listen here. Not only did he come like those people, but he came unlike someone, different than someone. You see, every year during Passover, because it was a season of revolt, it was a season where the Jewish people tried to overthrow the Romans several times, the the Roman Empire would send in a huge army. And Pilate at the time was the commanding, appointed, uh, you know, leader and ruler of this province. And Pilate would come from 
the sea, and he would bring his whole big army. He'd be in his wonderful armor, his big sword, his big white horse, and there would be hundreds of military troops that would come in, thousands that would come in, actually. And they would come in to go, hey, guess what? Jewish people, we understand this is your, your festival time, but we're here and we're in control. Look at us. Look how mighty and powerful the Romans are. And in fact, it would be on this day, on Sunday, that Pilate typically came. And he would come into Jerusalem, and the people would have to go out. If you were anybody who wanted to kiss the ring of the Roman Empire, they would go out, and they would stand beside, and they would applaud and cheer and wave palm branches. And I just imagine as Jesus is coming on this little donkey with this ragtag crew of fishermen and who knows what, women who weren't um, very uh, socially in social hierarchy back then, a ton of women traveled with Jesus. I just wonder the difference between these two parades. Do you think Jesus was intentional by how he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He goes, hey, you see the Roman power and the Roman might that has ruled for hundreds of years with fear and force, worshiping their gods, worshiping their strength. I'm going to come so different. I'm going to come humble as a sacrifice out of scandal to change the world. And that's how he came. I, lo- I love... Uh, how he answers the, the, the Pharisees in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, when they say, hey, can you tell your disciples to be quiet? I don't know if they said it that nicely. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And we say that a lot, right? I'm not a very good singer, so I say, you know, at, at least, you know, probably stones crying out would be better than me. That's my joke always. If you sit behind, the people that sit behind me and in front of me, I'm really sorry. But, I, don't, I never really understood where this came from. It's actually a remez. Everyone say remez. Okay, remember remez is when they quote a small portion of scripture and they mean the entire thing. That's what a remez is. And the remez that Jesus is quoting from, every good Jewish boy and girl would know, and he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter two. I'm sure you guys all love the book of Habakkuk and you read it this morning, but since maybe I didn't, let me remind us what it is. In Habakkuk chapter two, God through the prophet Habakkuk is calling out the nations and Israel for their corrupt way, their misguided thinking, their sin, and the way that they've built their cities and their kingdoms on power and fear. Weird. Doesn't apply at all, right? No, it really does. You see, Jesus came so intentionally with such great purpose Because he wanted to reshape the hearts and minds of the people then, and he wants to reshape the hearts and minds that we have today. And and Jesus isn't the Savior that we want or that they wanted. Jesus is the Savior that we need. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is not the Savior that we want. He is the Savior that we need. He knows better than you what you need. He knows better than me than what I need. He's God, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. But sometimes, that's hard to believe. I see some heads nodding. Sometimes, 
It's hard to believe. You know, those cries of Hosanna, Hosanna from those people asking Jesus to save him when he didn't do what they wanted, do you know what those cries turned into? Crucify me. Thank you, Haley. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And if I'm being honest with you today, there are times in my life that I wonder that if I was there, if I might have said those same words. Ask yourself that. When God doesn't give us exactly what we want, even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago, and hey, we didn't do that, but might we just say, along with that crowd, after waving our palm branches, crucify him. Because life is hard. Jesus promises us that in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I promise you in this life, you will have trouble. There's a promise. God's good at keeping his promises, I tell you. He, 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 didn't, he didn't say, hey, come follow me. It's going to be great. Life's hard. Life's challenging. This week has been an especially challenging one for me, and I, I want to be careful. I, I don't want to make this about me. It, it just truly is not. But the reason I share this is just because I want you to know that just because we sit up here and we stand up here, we lead from the platform, doesn't mean that we're any better than you guys and that we don't struggle just as much. So I don't, I don't want you to come out to me after and say, I'm so sorry. It's not why I'm saying this. I want, what I want you to hear, though, is that there's, there's just a really real battle for our hearts and our minds that we have to acknowledge and that we have to be unified in, that we have to have community in, and we need encouragement in. And that's why I share this today, because the power of testimony changes lives. Okay? So it's not about me. This week I was um, picking up my son around 11 o'clock from preschool. And I just was waiting there in the parking lot, and I see the news. And it's awful. There's no words that could, could make it anything but awful. And, you know, we get so desensitized, and again, this is not about politics. Please do not be distracted by any politics. But we just get so desensitized to these things happening in our life. But this time, I, I wasn't desensitized to it. This time, it hit me hard because of where I was and what I was doing at that moment when I heard. And I literally, as I was picking up my son, I broke down crying. And my heart broke for those people. It broke for me. And I thought, wow, that's a really bad day. God, how could this be good? How could you make this good? Lord, go, go and change this. You could do this, God. Go and change it, please. I went home, shared with my wife. I was getting ready to come to staff meeting, leaving at 12.45. And I got in the car. I started the car. I backed out of the driveway. Halfway out of the driveway, my wife comes and screams to me and says, come in here. I'm thinking maybe Kai hit his head or, you know, Everly, something happened to Everly, and um, she was just weeping, and what actually had happened then was we were expecting our third child, and she began to have a miscarriage. And I'll tell you, I don't know if I felt pain like that before. 
And this whole week has been full of pain. And I'll tell you, nothing more did I want than to wave my palm branch and say, God, please save me from this pain. Change this. Whether it's a pure motive or an unpure motive, I don't care, God. I wave my palm branch and I say, come and fix this. Fix what happened in, in Nashville. Fix my situation. God, fix this. You can do it. Why aren't you doing it, God? And unfortunately, he didn't fix it. And my faith and what I know to be true about God and the reality of my circumstances just went like this. And I was forced to really, 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 really think about what I believe about God. Four years of Bible school, raised in a Christian home, read the Bible probably 15 plus times, been in church every, every Sunday, and I was forced to really confront, is what I believe really, really what I believe? And you know, I told you at the beginning, it's crazy how God orchestrates things to speak to your heart just for you. We had set this passage aside months ago, months, that I would preach today. And Saturday morning, I opened up this for the first time. I hadn't done any prep. I had to apologize to the PowerPoint people because I didn't have my PowerPoint in on time. And, and, and I opened this up, and I begin to read, and God begins to speak to me. And I'm still not very happy with him. Sorry. If not, comes out, I'm sorry. But I'm still not very happy with him, and he begins to speak to me, and I begin to realize that I was waving my palm branch. That if I had probably been given the opportunity, I would have yelled, crucify him. And he began to do a work in my heart, and if I were to tell you that it's done, I'd be not being truthful with you, but he's begin, begun to do a work in my heart. He moved over me, and he said, Zach, I've I've got your wife. I've got your kids. I'm what you need. I asked him, why didn't you fix it? He said, one day you'll understand. And that really wasn't a great answer, but as God kept, if I kept asking him and I kept being honest with him and authentic with him and saying, God, why'd you do this? People started to come and to love us. I believe they're a very extension in hands and feet of God. People that are sitting out with you today, they begin to pray over us. They begin to share their testimonies of God, having them walk through something similar and having them be restored. I sat with our elder Chris this morning and, and he just shared some things that he's been with through in his life. I sat with Tim this morning. And they both prayed over me and, and just the things that they've walked through in this life and, and how God made it beautiful. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not finished with this situation in particular, our family is not, but God is working. And I want you to know today, I don't know what you're going through. And there's no win in comparison. What I'm going through is not any worse than what you're going through and what other people are going through. It, there's no win in comparison. I know you're going through something. In this life, there will be trouble. John 16, he promises. But I, what I want you to hear this morning by just that little testimony is that God is working. He's coming as the Savior that you need. You don't even know what you need. We sang about it. 
He's defending your heart. He's restoring your hope. He's restoring your faith. He's giving you enough energy to wake up and face the day. I promise you. You know why? I'm looking at you. You're here. You see, what I need to understand, what we need to understand, is that we need to embrace, worship, and imitate Jesus for who he is not who we want him to be or what we want him to do. Let me say that again. We need to understand, embrace, worship, and imitate Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be or what we want him to do. Because nothing more did I want him to do than to bring my baby back. Nothing more did I want him to do than to bring those children back. See the sound of those beautiful kids? We love it, by the way. You don't need to apologize. That's what my son does too. I love it. It's so funny, by the way, before you're a parent, you're like, whose kid is that? And now as a parent, you're like, I love that. <laughs> I'll sit by the kid on the airplane. Sorry, it was supposed to be an emotional moment. But we need to embrace and love and worship God for who he is. And I'm not here to give you the answer for all your pain and suffering or mine. I do not have a good answer. My wife and I have asked several times to each other, why did God do this? And, and you know what the answer is? And the best answer is, if you are a Christian and someone asks you, you know what the best answer is? I don't know. That's the best answer. But I say I don't know, and, but you know what I can do when I say I don't know? I can look to the cross and I can remember that the God of the universe sent his one and only son. He didn't have a bunch of them. His only son, and he said, you go pay for all the sins of the world. You pay for my sin and your sin. You go die the most gruesome, painful death on a cross during Holy Week. You come so intentionally, even though you could snap your fingers and write this whole thing a different way, you come this way to show my love to all these people that they may maybe one day in their brain get it and love me in return. And as I've doubted this week, the one thing I've held on to is that he died for me. If I ever doubt that he's good, if I ever doubt that he's working, if I ever doubt that he loves me, I just look back and I point to the fact that he sent his only son to die for me. Because I tell you, I love a lot of people in this room. You, you're not worth Hezekiah. I promise you. And I bet every parent was the same. And as if I've doubted this week and I've struggled this week, I've just kept pointing back to the cross and I want you to know in your pain and suffering, please do that. And when you can't do it for yourself, you come talk to someone here. Let them do it for you. Because this week, so many people have had to come to me and go, God's got you. He's good. He's working. So I don't know if that was any, any helpful for you today. It was helpful for me. My encouragement to you this morning as we close is for you to ask yourself, what's your palm branch? What's your palm branch? What are you waving and wanting? What are you upset with God about? What do you want him to fix? What do you want him to change? Maybe it's a good thing. Guys, getting healed is a good thing. We pray for that. Getting free of depression is a good thing. Reconciliation with family and friends is a good thing. None of, some of these things aren't bad. But what 
is in the place of just simply being fully satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus. What's your palm branch? And I would encourage you to maybe lay that down and pick up your cross. Just like Jesus did. To lay that palm branch down and pick up your cross and say, okay, Lord, because you did it, I can. Because you're going to do it for me, I can. And I, and I want you to give you a little bit of hope, because maybe I'm like 12 hours ahead of you in doing that. God's going to work. He's going to move. He's going to reshape your heart. He's going to meet needs in, in ways that you don't even understand. He's going to provide. He's going to sustain. He's going to restore He's going to defend, and one day every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. One day there will be no we more weeping. There will be no more pain. We will be with him forever one day. That is a promise you can take to the bank. As good as John 16, 33 is, you can take Revelation 22 to the bank and say, yes, one day we will be with him in perfect unity. All our pain, all our suffering, all our problems, all our hurt, it will go away. Do you believe that this morning? It's been hard for me to believe that this week. It's okay if it's hard. But he's good. As I cry and snivel before you, he's good. So, why don't you close your eyes. God, we just, we just don't fully understand sometimes what you're doing and where you're going and why. But we, we do understand who you are. We do understand that you sent your son to die for us so that we could be in relationship with you. We do understand that you are good, that your character is good, that you work all things for our good. God, we do understand that and we declare that, God, because we need to declare it out loud because sometimes we don't believe it in our hearts, Lord. So we declare it out loud that it may reshape our hearts, God. We sing it so it can reshape our hearts, God. Lord, I don't know what every single person in this room is going through, but it's been a week for me. I just pray right now that you would come and minister to our hearts, God, that you would come and love us the only way that we need love, God, we, that you would come and make your love so tangible and so real and so powerful in our lives, God, that we could look and trust you and know that you are good. desperately need you, God. We need to find our satisfaction and our fulfillment and our joy and our peace only in you. Give us that faith, God. Give us that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.